everyone. My name is Catherine Gorley, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today for another episode of the Injury Prevention Academy, a podcast brought to you by Dorn Companies, the country's leading wellness-based pain management and injury prevention company. Dorn is committed to reducing costs of healthcare and workers' compensation, as well as reducing lost productivity, which has resulted in over $120 million in savings over the last 20 years for our clients. Joining us today is Mike Harnett. Mike Harnett is a human factors professional with a background in sleep neurobiology and organizational, sorry, organizational fatigue management. She's worked with various government agencies, including the Federal Rail Association, NASA, and Transport Canada, as well as private industry, including oil and gas, mining, manufacturing, and film sectors. Welcome, Mike. Hello. Happy to be here. Absolutely. No, thank you so much for joining us. I really look forward to kind of hearing a little bit more of just what you've seen in the fatigue sector. It's quite broad. Yes, <laughs> it is. a consultant. <laughs> right? Because uh, Doran recently did a think tank with global HR and wellness directors, and fatigue was in their top three issues seen. It was, it was just that underlying thread through everything we talked about. And it was also a frequent topic of discussion at the recent ASSP conference. So how has the spike in this focus in the last two years really shaped the safety programs that we're seeing out there? I think overall, we, we just have a better understanding of fatigue and its impact at the workplace. And the fact mm -hmm. that when we talk about concepts like fit for work or fit for duty, that uh, in the past it was all about focusing on drugs and alcohol and making people pee in a cup and we realize now that there there is so much more to the holistic approach of someone being fit for work and fatigue mm -hmm. is very much a part of that and we know that from a fatigue perspective that it impacts all of what i call the other pillars of fit for duty so if for instance somebody has a physical health impairment if they have a back injury how is that affecting their ability to fall asleep or stay asleep uh, if somebody is going through a stressful event, maybe they're going through a divorce, maybe they're turning to, you know, alcohol or something to help help them get through it. But now that's right. impacting their sleep or the stress itself is impacting their sleep. So fatigue is, is consequently tied to almost every other safety initiative that we have. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And and I think the, those these last two years, last 18 months or so, I think has really really kind of lasered in on that focus because it's been it's become that topic of main conversation of how do we manage fatigue in the workplace yeah yeah absolutely uh, and um, there's no one simple way it's interesting i had a, a client discussion the other day and they kept trying to emphasize well we just want you for the fatigue science and they said well the fatigue science doesn't change from industry to industry the fatigue science is is the fatigue science what changes is my ability to take that science and apply it into the context of your organization, that's when you're going to reap the benefits of any fatigue management efforts. But mm -hmm. if you're looking to buy a program off of the shelf, uh, you're not going to see results. No, no, it, it's it's really about what what I've seen within the, the the field of fatigue, especially in different sectors like manufacturing, like distribution. It's all about really, I'd say, listening to your employees and developing a communication as to what's truly causing that fatigue in the first place. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly a, a big part of it. Um, 
one thing we have to be cautious about though is that we often uh, look at fatigue as a worker issue, right? Uh, tying it into mm -hmm. the fact that they're coming to work fatigued. But what we have to do is recognize that there's a shared responsibility because there are work factors that can contribute to the development of fatigue. Poorly designed work schedules uh, is, is a really good example where if, if an employee doesn't, it doesn't matter what an employee does in their off hours, if their work schedule doesn't allow them to get the requirement of sleep that they need. So we have to look at the fundamentals of how we've designed our jobs in the first place. And are we setting them up for fatigue or are we setting them up for failure? Right, because according to the National Safety Council, more than two thirds of workers say that they are tired at work. And that can be you know, based around the actual say job at hand, it can be the hours, it can be, the almost separation of, of work and personal life, uh, making sure that that separation is there. Um, yeah. So, so how do we how do we truly identify fatigue in, in different fields and industries, and and really create that open communication about it? Uh, it's going to come down to um, doing an assessment of where we are. Right, what do we currently have in place to manage fatigue? How are we handling it? How are we culturally accepting it? If we have, a, um, for lack of better terminology, an immature safety culture, then we're certainly not gonna have a mature fatigue management culture. So right. the culture has to be driven by, by senior leadership for sure. Um, they have to walk the walk, they have to talk the talk, and they have to put in the strategic foundation that will support any fatigue management efforts. So fatigue management is not about training employees how to sleep better. It's not about putting the focus on the employees, solely on the employees. One of the most fundamental things is we have to accept that fatigue is a part of our normal human condition. We're all gonna be tired at some point. We're all going to show up right. uh, exhausted because the baby kept us up all night or something along mm -hmm. that line. So by changing the focus away from focusing on tired employees and focusing on the risk at the job site, then we are better off managing uh, how we can control the situation. So if there's work elements that we need to modify, such as um, work schedules or, or other uh, workplace factors that could be contributing, ergonomic issues that could be contributing to fatigue, that's one thing. But regardless, we're never going to eliminate fatigue from showing up at the work site. So what we need to do is identify how does risk get impacted if fatigue shows up? So for example, when we have a, a manager, we have a lot of managers who go, what do you mean my employees are tired? I'm tired, what's the big deal, right? Well, the big deal is that you as a manager sitting behind a computer and having a microsleep is a lot different risk level from somebody who's holding a chainsaw or operating a big truck or in yes. those safety sensitive environments in, the, in front of a control panel. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's recognizing that Fatigue in and of itself can be a hazard, absolutely. But we have to look at our existing hazards and the risks that are attached to them that already are in place out there and now look at it through a fatigue lens and say, okay, this job we know has this hazard. How much more risky does it become when a tired employee does it? How can we better design that job to prevent that from developing into something more serious? Right, and, and I think, having that understanding between the employees and the supervisors and even senior management that, I mean, it, it very much is 
is making sure that everyone is on the same page with regards to how they're going to, even on a day-to-day -day basis, or mm -hmm. even when they're looking at their overall goals for say the year, they need to figure out how to recognize those kind of things that are gonna come up. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, it comes back to the very beginning, understand where your risks are and where fatigue plays a role. And from there, mm -hmm. You can now set your targets and objectives. Where do you want to get with this fatigue management program? And now you can start measuring against it. You can start collecting metrics and KPIs can be established. But without that, nobody's driving the program. Nobody knows if there's an effect. And, and this is where we find a lot of times if, if fatigue management is being housed under a wellness program, we often don't have metrics attached to it or targets and objectives. Whereas mm -hmm. if it's housed underneath health and safety, then there's more onus and more responsibility to tie it into operational values and having metrics and having KPIs. So it, it um, can be influenced very much by how you even approach within the organization, who's going to be in charge of championing the program. Right. And, and Dorn has, has a program called Alert Meter where it's more of a gamified system to measure fatigue, you know, establish that right. baseline as to where an employee or even a supervisor is on any given day. And if that is skewed in some way on, you know, someone comes into the work site and they've been up all night, you know, yeah. it's, it's going to create that alert. And I think, and I think having that, that open communication about some of those causes and, and having that data there is ultimately what really, I think, informs the safety mm -hmm. on, you know, a production floor or at a job site. It, it does. It's, it's another layer of protection. Um, and I mean, there's, there's so many great tools out there and Alert Meter is one of them. Uh, but what we have to keep in, in context is that these are simply tools. They're not mm -hmm. solutions. And unfortunately, I see a lot of um, uh, certain technological uh, groups that will come in and say, we've got the solution for you. It's eye tracking or it's this or it's that. And it's not because most of those are detecting fatigue after the fact that somebody's tired. So okay. yeah. in essence, what have we done to prevent uh, fatigue from showing up in the first place? Um, knowing we won't always be able to prevent that anyway, but the reality being that um, we just need to make sure that we understand what these tools bring in terms of value. And it's one thing for a tool to say, hey, somebody's tired. It's another thing for that tool to say, hey, this employee's in tired. Here's what you should do now. And unfortunately, a lot right. of the tools don't go that next step. They basically say, yeah, you got a tired employee. <laughs> up to you now <laughs> and uh, and I don't know how much value there is in, in that approach if the company ha has kind of been sold this bill of goods that this is a solution they need and that's going to take care of their fatigue problem they need okay. to understand it has to be multi-layered uh, and multiple controls um, to to really have an effective program right and um, and and I like the idea of fatigue just it it really encompasses a lot of things. It can encompass sleep. It can encompass even mental health. You know, someone can be emotionally fatigued with, mm -hmm. with, with what's going on. So yeah. how, how I, I, I know I asked you about kind of a shift in focus towards fatigue, but how has that really encompassed um, mental health as well? 
Yeah, that, that's a, a really um, uh, strong connection. Uh, for many, many years, we were, well, we've always been debating, you know, what comes first, chicken or the egg? Um, and it always kind of leaned that stress was the cause of a lot of a lot of our insomnia and sleeplessness and, and those types mm -hmm. of anxieties and things. Um, but the more recent literature has finally established that, well, you know what, uh, a lot of it, especially in today's world, is driven by lack of sleep. So the fact that as a society, we're not getting the amount of sleep that we biologically need to fully restore our brain means that we're also not restoring our emotional capabilities and tolerances. So if you're tired because you didn't get a good night's sleep and now you're exposed to something stressful, we actually see an enhancement of your fight or flight response. Your emotional response gets heightened and mm -hmm. that even leads to people being more susceptible to PTSD all because you didn't get a good night's sleep. So the right. fact that sleep makes you more vulnerable to stress and uh, heightened levels of it uh, is really the kicker here. And then now once you're in that cycle, now it just keeps feeding off of each other. The more stress, the more you can't sleep, the more stress, the more you can't sleep. Uh, and yes. it becomes, uh, yeah, something tough to get out of. Right, and that can be, I think, applied to really almost any job out there. It's not, oh, you yeah. know, it's it's not just heavy industry. It's I know you've worked in you know government. You've worked in film. I mean this the, this affects so many different people in a variety of ways. Yeah, uh, there, there's no uh, rhyme or reason as to how it's going to affect an individual because stress is first and foremost individual Internal. to each of us. Mm -hmm. um, but we do know that there are certain psychological components within an organizational structure that will make an environment more stressful to the majority of employees. And, and that's why, um, you know, we had the psychological health and safety standard that was the world's first was created here in Canada. And then that fed mm -hmm. into an international standard of psychological health and safety. Um, right. Because we, we know the, the impact that, that certain workplace environments um, can, how they can affect employees and set them up for additional stress than what they really need or any of us need. Right, and then you mentioned uh, sleep, since obviously companies can't control how much their employees sleep. Uh, what, <laughs> I mean, they try, they try. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but it usually doesn't work. Um, what, what solutions have you seen out there that, that companies could use to, I'd say, better inform their employees? a lot there's so many but the, okay. the key here of course is understanding where you're at first right so you don't know if you have an issue of sleep with your employees until you ask so whether right. it's a survey or whatever pros focus group however you want to do it we use surveys a lot which really help us understand the degree to which employees are suffering from either a lack of sleep or or poor quality sleep or have sleep disorders or have maybe they're turning to sleep aids uh, like medications or alcohol, or maybe they have a health condition that's affecting their sleep. Until mm -hmm. you ask these questions and you look at that that kind of data, uh, you really don't know whether or not to devote resources to that issue, right? So yes. once you've identified that, if you find in fact that, and, and I'd be surprised to find that uh, we wouldn't have a sleep problem in most organizations these days, um, yeah. we have to recognize that sleep just hasn't been given the respect that it's due. And again, if you think of it from a leadership perspective, how many people in very important positions got there 
by sacrificing sleep. They were the first ones to show up and turn the lights on, the last ones to leave and turn the lights off, and they mm -hmm. got rewarded for it. So it's this badge of honor. Mm -hmm. So if that's how the work culture was established, it's really hard for the organization to kind of buy in and say, yeah, 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 we got to deal with these tired workers. They don't understand that. So we need to, to do education, not just at the employee level. We need to educate the business case side of things for management. We need to educate supervisors in how to identify fatigued employees and what to do with those fatigued employees. Because mm -hmm. right now we're letting them fly by the seat of their pants and try to figure out what to do with them, right? And if you like right. the employee, the supervisor might say, yeah, you know, go sneak off to the truck and grab 10 minutes. I'll come and get you when I need you. But if they don't like the employee, it might be, I'm writing you up. This is discipline. I'm sending you home. You're suspended. So in and the stress just compounds itself. Exactly. So we certainly need to understand um, that, that education isn't just about sleep and it's not just about the employees, it's those other levels. But from a sleep perspective, the employees need to be educated on the very basics because we didn't get it in school. It wasn't something that most of us were ever taught about <laughs> because we didn't have the science behind us. I started in this field over 30 years ago, and for the first 15 years, we were throwing darts at a wall and hoping something would stick to see what would happen. But mm -hmm. now we have the longitudinal studies, we have the evidence, we understand sleep neurobiology so much better. Now we can give constructive, good advice uh, to the employees and to the organization on how to better manage the opportunity for sleep and for the employees to get better quality and quantity of sleep. So, so how do we manage some of the things that you've seen obviously change over the last couple of years? Um, I know that a big part of the last two years has been things like virtual meetings on platforms like, like this one, yeah. like, you know, all, you know, Zoom, GoToMeeting teams, it's, it's become the norm. So, mm -hmm. so how do we, and, and this is very, I'd say a new field of study because this is something yeah. that really was pushed on a lot of people in a very, very fast timeline. So how do we manage the fatigue seen from this? And I've, I've seen more and more often people talking about actually how women on average are more affected by some of the virtual platforms. Yeah, I think there's, um, well, it is really kind of in its infancy in terms of, of being studied. There is some mm -hmm. really good information that, that is coming out of places like Stanford University. Uh, one of the things I find fascinating is that first off, this is such an atypical, unnatural environment to be communicating in, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm somebody, I'm used to speaking to large groups or, or walking across the stage. And as you can see, my hands are constantly moving. Uh, and that's such a natural part of our communication is the um, the unnoticed behaviors that subconsciously we, we pick up on. And mm -hmm. that's taken away when we're in these environments. Now, um, the cognitive load is so much more because we're focusing on uh, what we look like in the screen. We're looking at ourselves, which is feedback. Can you imagine walking around with somebody holding a mirror in front of you all day long, right? Or it, it, it'd be exhausting. Meeting. Yeah, yeah, going to a meeting room and having a big mirror there all the time. The fact mm -hmm. that we're constantly looking at ourselves, especially as women, um, judging ourselves, what do we look like? Is our hair out of place? What's our makeup mm -hmm. look like? Right. Uh, and then you add, what, what does my background look like? Um, there's all these other factors that have nothing to do 
with the meeting and would never be in place if you were having a face-to-face, -face. but they're here now. Right. So, and they create a cognitive load. And if you're somebody who is more introverted or socially anxious, you feel all these eyes looking directly at you now, whereas in a normal meeting, you're not constantly staring at one person, right? You're looking around, et cetera, et cetera. But all you yes. feel in these meetings is everybody looking at you. So mm -hmm. be incredibly socially anxious for people and, and trigger different kinds of levels of fatigue and stress. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, it's, it's so different. Obviously, mm -hmm. like you said, just just in the last um, year and a half, two years. But I think people getting used to those kind of stressors, um, and also yeah. figuring out how to make it work for them. So all of a sudden, saying, you know what, I'm going to attend this meeting, but I'm not going to have my camera on. Yeah. It's 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 creating those. I I'd say more self aware um, tactics for yourself. Mm -hmm to combat some of that fatigue from from day-to-day -day meetings. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the unfortunate side, of course, is there's still some companies that kind of like to, to, you know, big brother their employees and you must have your camera on and we're going to check in with you every hour and make sure you're at your desk. And, uh, right. you know, that, that just goes to, again, show more of a, a lack of cultural maturity um, where they mm -hmm. don't even trust their employees to do the jobs that they're hired to do. Um, right. which I think says more about their hiring process than anything. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think would, would obviously create a lot of stress separately from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, again, the, the fatigue and, and stress just feed off of each other. So yeah, I think things like being able to turn off your camera, being able to, to um, pull yourself away from, from the, the stress of it, you know, even just simple things like reducing the size of your screen instead of having it full size so that, mm. you know, you don't have one great big head staring at you. <laughs> there's, there's different ways that, that we can individually manage it. But, you, mm -hmm. but when you look at younger generations too, a lot of them, when they're away from the Zoom meeting, now they're face-to-face -face on the phone. And so they're not helping the situation. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot that we can do individually, but corporately as well. Right. And, and having having those discussions as an organization as mm -hmm. to how you can best manage just your day to day operations and, and day to day goals with those fatigue. I'd say fatigue goals in mind. Yeah, uh, and I think the, the key word there is fatigue goals and um, having organizations recognize that, again, fatigue management is not a program. Uh, it's not a training program. Fatigue management is an ongoing evolutionary process, and it needs to be driven by continuous improvement. And that means you need to set your targets and your objectives, and you need to know what it is you're driving towards. Are you looking at reducing overtime? which is creating a lot of fatigue out there. Are you looking at putting in a process to make sure that if somebody's going to be putting in overtime, are you monitoring them to make sure they're still fit for duty? Because if they're all of a sudden working 16 hours, 17 hours, 18 hours, and now they're driving home after that, well, at 17 right. hours of wakefulness, you are now legally impaired. You're at 0.05%, at least legally impaired in Canada, uh, but that 0.05% blood alcohol equivalency. And if you've been awake for uh, 20 to 21 hours, you're at 0.08. Mm -hmm. 
God forbid you're awake 24 hours, but there are some that will work those kinds of hours. And the next thing you know, they're 0.10. Right. I think you frequently see some of those kind of hours in in medical fields, in in entertainment um, jobs, especially when you're working on a a film set, you're seeing very, very long hours. I think the the biggest concern is anyone who works uh, shift work uh, and goes on to night shift because what we we tend to see is the majority of people when they're going to be going on to their very first night shift in the in the block mm-hmm. of shifts, they'll wake up as if they're on their daytime schedule like they've just come off of days off. So they'll wake up maybe six, seven, eight in the morning, and they'll stay awake all day, and then they'll report to their night shift, and now they're up for twelve hours. However, yes, right. And then by the time they finish their first night shift, they've been awake 18, 20, 22 hours, no problem. And now we're saying, okay, bye-bye, drive home safe. And the number one response I get when I ask shift workers to tell me what is the worst shift they work, they'll always say, the majority will always say, it's my first night shift because they don't know how that long hours of wakefulness is, is really setting them up for failure the rest of the week but they get to this impaired state that they don't recognize how impaired they are it's like asking a drunk how drunk are you right they they really can't describe it very Mm -hmm. well right right now i i know that you are joining us from canada which which is awesome um so how does that approach to fatigue management have you seen differ from canada to the us and and is do you feel like the global community is coming closer to to approaching it in kind of a unified way or is it very much still kind of individualized? Yeah, I think fundamentally um, it comes down again to that health and safety maturity of an organization and their own workplace culture. In Canada, health and safety and, and subsequently the whole concept of risk management is controlled through health and safety professionals. But when I work in the U.S., I'm constantly integrating uh, or, or not integrating, but I'm, I'm uh, being primarily introduced to their health and safety representatives who are actual lawyers uh, or, oh, or regulatory okay. um, uh, personnel. So mm-hmm. I'm not dealing with the health and safety side of things anymore. It's, more, it's all about risk management in terms of how it pertains to the risk for a company or their shareholders and not necessarily um, focusing um, on the health and safety of the employees and how that can contribute to a better workplace environment. So right. when when I uh, I find that more on, on the US side where I have that, that kind of an issue to deal with, but that being said, we also know that there are pockets that are wonderful on the US side that are, that are tackling mm-hmm. fatigue management. As in Canada, we have some of the same problems too. It's just a little bit more um, socially liberal up here and so there's a little mm-hmm. bit more of a drive towards the health and safety aspect of our employees. We care a little bit more in that regard. Um, okay. Not to say that you don't on the U.S. side. It's just it, it comes out through our policies a little bit more because our political uh, culture helps to dictate that. Okay. Um, on the, the global aspect, if we look at it from the fatigue science perspective and people like me that actually operate in the field, we're very globally united in what needs to be done. Um, yeah. And it's only going to be through more conferences, through more speaking engagements, through more more awareness that we can drive those messages into organizations. 
but I think a bigger driver is going to be the development of standards and best practices. So again, up here, what, what we're doing is we've got the very first fatigue management standard in the world being developed specifically for first responders. So I, you can imagine the stress and the fatigue that, that these personal yes. law enforcement and, and ambulance, paramedics, firefighters, mm -hmm. uh, everything that they face. So I think it's going to be through, through standards as opposed to more prescriptive regulations that are going to help um, create that unified front that we want because regulations are usually prescriptive rules. Don't do this, do this. Whereas standards will be a compendium of best practices to get the most out of your program for the benefit mm -hmm. of all, a win-win. So um, I think that's a direction that we need to go. It's slowly coming, uh, mm -hmm. but the awareness is picking up. As, you, as you've noted, the NSC has jumped on fatigue. They're doing great promotions. We need to capitalize on that. Yes. Now we need to get it internal in the organizations, but it's tough if the gatekeeper of this information is a lawyer instead of a health and safety person. Okay. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And I think um, having it, having that open communication for the health of your employees, for the safety of your employees, I think is going to make such a big difference, especially I think as yeah. we, we, fingers crossed, hopefully leave this, this COVID um, era um, and really come out the other side with a more broad understanding as to how to take care of the workers that are within your organization and and how yeah. to have that be more of an open communication instead of you know i'm only interested in in the job you're doing but not the reasons why maybe that job isn't being done well I, I, and what i love <clears throat> excuse me about the younger generations is that they come in with a very clear uh, agenda for lack of a better word that what's important to them is work-life balance and yes. when you look at the baby boomers who are slowly leaving uh, but who are still in control of a lot of organizations mm -hmm. um, their adage was hard work it was focused focused on hard labor and it was focused on you know that was the only way to get ahead and work defined you and they sacrificed not just sleep they sacrificed family mm -hmm. and and uh, other social activities to get ahead because their work defined them. And again, it was that badge of honor. Look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. But the younger generations, and God bless them, they 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 they're coming in with the attitude that you know work doesn't define me. It's about how does work supplement what I want out of life. And mm -hmm. I think that as the and the tech communities have kind of realized that more than anybody else because they're driven by younger generations rather than some of the old stalwart um, organizations that are out there so mm -hmm. they get it um and it's slowly uh, slowly coming into some of those more traditional organizations but it, it it's a slow haul and it's it's a lot of prodding but it's going to be it's sink or swim if you don't as an organization adapt to the new cultures and the new workforces you're not going to survive. Right. And, and I think it's, it's growing as, as an organization, it's, it's making uh, your workforce ultimately work for you. This is, this is about, you know, having that open communication and, and understanding your employees, because if, if, a if an employee feels valued at work, they, 
they will do more. They, their, their productivity goes up, their morale goes up. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's that kind of trickle down effect, um, as I like to see within an organization of, of creating good workspaces. Yeah, and I think it even goes beyond that as well, especially from a fatigue perspective, because what organizations don't understand right now, they're already managing fatigue, but they're managing it at the back end right. because it's fatigue is showing itself in terms of errors, poor quality workmanship, um, uh, absenteeism. We know that people who get five hours of sleep versus those who get seven hours of sleep the ones who get five hours take twice as many days off in terms of absenteeism. So right. it, there's so many other issues that they need to recognize as a business case. So when I go into an organization, if I walk up to a manager and say, you got to worry about your tired employees, they're going to go, whatever. But if I can say to them, hey, Mr. Trucking Company, did you know that tired truck drivers drive closer to the truck in front of them when they're tired, because that means they don't have to be as situationally aware of everything else going on around them. They just react to the truck in front of them. Mm. Consequently, consequently, when you're tired, you have a slowed reaction time, which means there's a lot more heartbreaking episodes now as you react yes. to the truck in front of you, which in turn then feeds into the fact that when you have more heartbreaking episodes, you're harder on the equipment, more wear and tear, and they drive up fuel costs. Now, what is the number one concern within a trucking organization, their number one cost factor? Fuel costs. Mm -hmm. So now by presenting the business case, they understand why it's a win-win to manage fatigue. Not just, you know, we're not coddling the employees. We're making this right. a good, strong company because we care about the employees and in turn, it's going to reap those benefits. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. For, uh, Mike for joining us today. Um, I This has been just a great discussion and I, I just love hearing your thoughts and just <laughs> of, of how to combat um, fatigue because it's it's so, it's such a prevalent issue in, in today's workforce. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. And my pleasure being here. Thank you so much for giving me the, the platform to, uh, to talk about it because <laughs> I love talking about it. No, that's great. Um, and, and thank you all for joining Doran's Injury Prevention Academy. Uh, tune in next time to learn more about the innovative steps and programs um, and, and, and ways to combat different issues um, in today's world of safety.